information provided by Monroe Partners is general information and is for educational purposes only. The podcast is not intended to include or constitute as financial product advice. You should obtain independent advice from a licensed professional advisor before making any investment decision. The views held by Monroe Partners are current at the time of recording and are subject to change. Information about the Monroe Funds is available at munropartners.com.au. Munro Partners is a corporate authorised representative of Munro Asset Management Limited, AFSL 480509. Welcome back to the Invest in the Journey podcast by Munro Partners. My name is Taylor Bree Casey and today I'm joined by partner and portfolio manager, James Tissinders and investment analyst, Dan Condon. Welcome guys. Thanks, Tyler. Thanks, Tyler. Great to be here. James, we've done a couple of recent podcasts and releases on the climate area of interest and the big news around the US Inflation Reduction Act. Can you give our audience some context and talk through some of the pointers of the legislation? Yeah, sure. So long story short, Biden came to power. Um, The market got very excited that he was going to release some climate-specific legislation or get something through that was really going to help the climate agenda in the US and basically help them get to the net zero targets. He wasn't able to do that in the first couple of years that he was in power, but but now he's actually surprisingly come through with the goods and we've got an Inflation Reduction Act, which is not quite as big as the initial sort of excitement a couple of years back, but it's still super positive and it's a real sort of left field positive surprise for us. So it's, a, it's, it's good news. It'll help the US decarbonise uh, and get to their targets. And specifically for the companies that we look at, it's, it's really positive because they go from basically a two-year regulatory cycle or tax credit cycle to 10 years. So it basically allows a lot more planning um, and a lot more certainty for these these companies and it's a really good positive tailwind for, the, for their growth. So without sort of going through all the detail again, I know we've sort of been through it in a separate podcast, but um, you know, at a high level, uh, that's that's sort of the basics of what, what's happened here. So really, really positive development. We've been saying it's, it's game-changing around the office. Yeah, correct. Yeah, and specifically for um, some of the things that were a little bit further out into the future, uh, it just pulls them forward. So, um, you know, solar and wind was already getting a lot of traction and would have happened anyway in the next couple of years, but it's it's pulling forward the development of hydrogen, um, potentially uh, carbon storage, things like that that would have happened further out into the future. Because of these tax credits, it, it'll potentially happen quicker and you'll get that inflection uh, quicker in terms of spending, So, which is, which is positive for the whole space basically. And can you explain a little bit how the war in Ukraine is impacting climate policy in Europe? Yeah, so again, like really briefly and simply, if you just sort of think about what's happened in Europe, um, the natural gas prices spiked, uh, which is putting a lot of pressure on on the economy in Europe. It's pretty bleak. It's obviously a real shame. It's obviously very sad as well, obviously, what's happened with Ukraine and obviously Russia um, invading. So effectively what that's meant is that Europe has to plan for a future without Russian gas and needs to do that as quickly as possible. Now, obviously, they're not going to be able to uh, replace that energy source overnight. Uh, There's a lot of infrastructure that needs to go into these things and they've obviously become way too dependent, particularly Germany, on on Russian gas. So what they've done now is they've implemented this new plan called uh, Repower EU. Um, And again, similar to in the US, you know, they have their decarbonisation goals, which they already had um, in place and Europe was obviously leading the way here globally, but but they've actually accelerated the decarbonisation goals uh, now over the next couple of years. And, and and what that means is just at a high level, it means that basically it's it's good for the renewables companies that are going to build, build all this power for them. So the companies that deploy the solar, deploy the wind, deploy the offshore wind, the whole sort of value chain. So it is a positive development for them. You know, if that is, um, you know, one of the 
sort of silver linings come out of uh, what's a pretty terrible situation with Ukraine. And yeah, we we basically identify the t- companies that are going to help with this this situation. So in the short term, the negative is that they're actually burning more coal and they're basically relying on nuclear for longer than what they planned to. So that's that's obviously a short term negative for the environment. But hopefully, the silver lining is you know medium to longer term. You get a lot more development of renewables quicker than what would have happened otherwise. It's a very interesting time in Europe at the moment. Could you maybe uh, talk us through some of the sub areas of interest that you're interested in at the moment? Yeah. So across climate, the sub areas of interest that we have been ident- well, we have identified over a longer period of time: clean energy, clean transport, um, energy efficiency, and circular economy. And with regard to both the war in Europe. And uh, the US Inflation Reduction Act, it's probably the clean energy that's the primary beneficiary. And so that's really where we're, um, I suppose, accelerating our investments there. But nonetheless, there is positives across the whole space. And yeah, happy to sort of dig in dig in further to, to those as well. The other one that people sort of talk about as well, and there is some, some things in here for electric vehicles. Um, in the Inflation Reduction Act as well. So, um, so yeah, so those, those, are, those are interesting as well. But, yeah, really for the moment is clean, clean energy companies that are probably going to see the most immediate uplift. So that's probably a good segue to Dan. Dan, can you talk about some of the bottom-up company analysis that the investment team is doing at the moment and can you give us some examples of some areas that are set to benefit? Yeah, thanks, Taylor. So we're spending a lot of time at the moment on these solar names. They're key beneficiaries of the Inflation Reduction Act. And the way we look at them is we split them into a few subcategories. So the first beneficiary would be the residential solar installers who basically provide integrated solutions. So solar, storage, energy management, etc. And we like them because they're leveraged to new builds and they also benefit from the investment tax credits that are in the Inflation Reduction Act itself. Another, Another sort of vertical is the solar panels. So Within the confluence of tax credits that are afforded in the Inflation Reduction Act, there are domestic manufacturing credits for basically solar panels that are made in the US. And that, this is in part to sort of reduce reliance on Asia, where a lot of the solar panels come from today. And basically, the way we see it is if you have solar installations growing mid-teens through to the end of the decade, then you basically need panels. And this is this is the direct exposure there. And there's also, also worth noting that there's domestic manufacturing content adders to the ITCs. So basically you can earn an extra 10% ITC if it's sort of produced locally and all, all sourced locally. So a name like First Solar's a company that sort of benefits there. And then there's other sort of verticals like microinverters, um, which basically convert the DC electricity from the solar panels to AC, which is usable by home appliances, um, and then trackers, storage, etc. So we're spending a lot of time in this space at the moment. It's really exciting and we think they're key beneficiaries. It does sound exciting. Can you also maybe talk about electric vehicles and maybe some beneficiaries there? Yeah, sure, sure. So in these sort of tax incentives, we've sort of done the rough maths and if you add up the tax credits for cars, for batteries, for the materials itself, so you can get to about an 11,000 sort of tax credit maximum you can sort of claim there. And I mean, obviously this benefits everyone along the value chain from the car makers themselves, like Tesla, to the battery makers, all the way to the materials. And so yeah, we, we see upside um, in the batteries as they sort of shift supply from Asia to the US for the same reasons we explored before. And yeah, another sort of vertical we look at is the EV charging. It's a really exciting area, grow 30 plus KGAR through to 2030. And this is really dealing with range anxiety that people feel as a barrier to buying an EV as such. Yeah, we see growth as sort of a function of EV penetration there. So yeah, there's, there's a few exciting names there that, that we like. It's very topical at the moment. And what about things like infrastructure? Can you talk to that? 
Yeah, yeah. So if you believe in all these solar targets and, and EV sort of builds that they're anticipating, then you're going to need to upgrade the grid to cope with the trade of power, the electrification of everything, as you like to call it. Even if you look in the US recently, California, for example, have been having these rolling blackouts just due, due to an inability for the grid to cope with the electrification. So we see this as a massive opportunity, maybe a sort of underappreciated opportunity in, in this build-out, levered to sort of utility capex as as utilities spend money upgrading and hardening the grid and preparing for the electrification of everything. So a name we like here is Qantas Services. Um, they do transmission, distribution services, a bit of renewable energy sort of construction, um, and yet we, we see them as really playing into this theme of upgrading and yeah, hardening the grid for the future. Very, very exciting times. Lastly, we can't finish the episode without asking what your favourite stock in the portfolio is at the moment. James, last time you said it was Vestas. Is that still the case? Uh, yeah, good question. Yeah, so it's really interesting actually. Vestas is a company we see a lot of upside in on a sort of medium to longer term view. Um, actually, I should take a step back and just remind what it is. It's actually one of the three main turbine companies in the world. So it's quite a consolidated industry, but it's an industry going through a lot of short term challenges. So specifically around steel costs, logistics costs, resin costs. And also prior to this Inflation Reduction Act, which we've obviously spent a fair bit of time on today, it's had this trouble in the US of basically having a couple of big years as sort of developers want to get those tax credits and then it basically plateaus as there's uncertainty about the next couple of years of, of, um, of regulatory plans from the, from the US. So this is a key beneficiary of having 10 years of basically planning foresight now. Um, so developers can go and place orders with that sort of 10-year view in mind. So this is one that we think is going to yeah, be a primary beneficiary. And yeah, so over the next couple of months, over the short term, there are some challenges that still got to work through. But, you know, we're pretty confident that these logistics and supply chain issues are sort of starting to moderate. And so their margin should bounce back to sort of pre-pandemic levels. Uh, so we do see a lot of upside on sort of more of a medium to longer term view. But as Dan sort of spoke about a lot in his answers, Probably the, the the short term, you know, best placed inflection for earnings in, in the immediate term is probably more in this sort of clean energy sort of solar side, which is just easy to deploy. And so, yeah, that we, we, we like a few of the companies there and have sort of larger weights because they're just sort of easier short term. Vestas is probably one that I see um, as having a lot of upside, but probably more in that medium to longer term view. So is it your pick? Yeah, it is still my <laughs> pick, yeah, because ultimately at the end of the day, you know, we, we want to buy a company and, um, you know, make good money out of it and we're happy to wait. Uh, ideally, you don't have to wait too long, but, <laughs> but I'm just sort of saying that the next couple of quarters might still be a bit sticky. But, yeah, the long term, because it is a consolidated industry um, and we do have a very strong view, as Dan sort of laid out and talked a lot about solar, but we do have a very strong view on the wind market as well over the next decade because it's, it's going to be very, very difficult to hit these renewable targets and these decarbonisation targets without, without both solar and wind and batteries and, and ultimately hydrogen as well. So, um, so yeah, so Vestas is a key beneficiary. Brilliant. And, Dan, what is your pick? Um, I'm, I'm going to have to say next era, Taylor. Awesome. Why we like them, basically a best-in-class utility, earn high returns on equity, largest sort of renewable developer in the US. And, yeah, they're basically, as we sort of spoke to today, the benefit from all aspects of the Inflation Reduction Act, whether it's on the solar side, wind, storage, even as they move into hydrogen, which is another exciting area. So, yeah, we see them as a sort of well-rounded play on the decarbonisation of the US. Wonderful. Thank you for your time today, guys.
Thanks, Taylor. Thanks, Taylor. So that brings us to the end of this episode. To learn more about the Monroe Partners Climate Change Leaders Fund or to listen back to the Tailwinds for Climate podcast, head to our website at monroepartners.com.au.